Disclaimer. This episode of the Dub Talk podcast may contain language and situations that may not be appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This episode also contains spoilers for the first season of The Big O. Keep this in mind as you listen. And as always, the views and opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Now then, cast in the name of God, ye not guilty. Hello and welcome to Dub Talk, a show where a bunch of anime nerds get together and talk about their favorite anime and the dubs that come with it. Uh, I am your host for the evening, uh, Lack the Watcher, and with me is Roots of Justice. Hello, hello. And Amandul. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> and tonight is a very special episode where we are going back to the age of Toonami and talking about one of my personal favorites and an underrated gem of the anime community, The Big O. Yes, the, the noirish... Uh, mecha series, mystery, whatever you want to call it. It's a whole hodgepodge, like a melting pot of ideas put together to create one of my favorite anime of all time. So, Big O! Showtime! For the, for the youths out there who weren't around in the age of Toonami, what is Big O? Uh, so yes, the Big O was a series created in 1999 by Sunrise. Um, essentially, uh, Sunrise tried to make the tried to make a uh, giant robo and they succeeded but the problem is giant robo didn't do very well so uh they decided to go back to the drawing board and they ended up coming up with um the big l does anyone else want to go into more detail about that <laughs> yeah so a little fun fact about production in terms of the big o is um sunrise was commissioned to do in between work on a certain Warner Brothers animation series. Um, Tiny Toons? <laughs> no, but same crew. I I think Tiny Toons was over at TMS. I I can't recall if <laughs> somebody will definitely correct me in the. Is that true? Like I want to say it was TMS who did Tiny Toons, and then it was Sunrise who did the. Um, the Bruce Tim DC Universe animated series. Like, I know they did Batman. I think they did Superman as well. Um, but... I I'll, mean, the designs are a little closer to the Superman kind of designs than they are the Batman designs. Honestly. Right. So. Um, a lot of the... A lot of the design choices for Batman the Animated Series ended up being inspiration for what we ended up getting with the Big O's sort of diesel punk neo-noir giant punchy robots uh, that combined with giant robo obviously uh, created the very unique design philosophy of the series um, it is very deeply rooted in like 20s 30s noir um, kind of sixties kaiju too. Oh, absolutely, with a bunch of fifties um, and sixties sci-fi schlock thrown in for good measure. 
Take 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 one part giant robots, one part uh, uh, George Pal sci-fi movies, and one part Anton first uh, set design, and yeah. voila, it's Big O. Yeah, that's also, basically it. Also, a very interesting thing I found out. Um, sorry, I just need to look. It's as much a tribute to it's as much a tribute to cinema as Cowboy Bebop is, just completely in a completely different way. Right. So. Um, there is one other very fascinating production fact that I found out in doing research for my little bit of this episode. So, yeah. Big O. <laughs> um, on a personal level, it's just... It was kind of... When I first watched the Big O, um, I was like, wow, this is unlike anything I've ever seen in anime. Honestly. I was really shocked. Like how different it was and i was like i want to watch all of this this is amazing and i kind of wish we got more anime like this yeah yeah i also i let's see when did this come out on toonami this would have been okay about 2001 ish i'd have been in the process of Finishing up middle school and beginning to transition into high school. Um, this was absolutely mind-blowing. I couldn't believe something like this. I think around the same time, Blue Submarine number 6 was also airing on Toonami. And that... All of that just kind of... Blew 13-year-old Roots of Justice's mind. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I I was around the same age, and at the time, I didn't know the word tokusatsu. Uh, but if I yeah. had, and you said, like, hey, J hey, you want to you wanna watch a cartoon where uh, Batman's a tokusatsu villain? <laughs> tokusatsu hero? Yeah, you're, uh, you're sit down, kid. You're going to like this. <laughs> the robot fights a lightning monster at one point. It's great. I mean, it, it's funny, too, because I was way into American comics long before I was into anime. Because remember, I didn't really get into anime until I was, like, 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so like for me, I mean, it was pretty cool to see something so Batman-y, but done in an anime style. When I was just getting into anime, so yeah. I mean, oh. Justice League Unlimited is like my favorite cartoon of all time. So right, there's an added element of that. Okay, so I found the name. Um, another really cool fact about the Big O is um, it was sort of supervised by a name who you probably wouldn't have recognized at the time, but nowadays um, he went on to direct a show that I really, really like. Uh, he goes by the name of Keiichi Sato. Huh. And he would later go on to direct Tiger and Bunny and Rage of Bahamut. Oh, that makes sense. Rage of Bahamut Genesis. Oh, and also Virgin Soul. But I think that he was a, a um, I, I, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, but um, here he was sort of a supervising animation director. He did the character designs. Um, I think he also did a bunch of the world building for uh, for the setting of the show, Paradigm City. Okay, because there is a little, like, cultural crossover between the Big O and Tiger and Bunny. So I can kind of see that. Yeah. I just thought that was interesting, and I wanted to bring it up. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, 
So yeah, didn't you want to talk about like why the theme in the Sentai cut is is the oh, second do you, season? Do you do you do you want me to do big O OP shenanigans now or at the end of the episode? Um, let's do it now. Let's all get right, that out so, of the way and then just. All right, so, so, so get comfy, kids. Right. So, uh, so if you if you watch Big O on the Blu-ray that Sentai has put out or on High Dive, uh, you'll be greeted with a very nice uh, OP set to a song called Big O, The Show Must Go On, uh, which was done by... Alright, so, uh, called Big Sh it's called Big, Show Big, Big O, The Show, Show Must Go On by Rune Guy. It's this fun sort of retro 1960s style. Uh, this was not the original opening for Season 1. The original opening for Season 1 was another so song by Rune Guy called Big O, which had this fun uh, OP, which was all these kind of like still images of like you know, robots and cars and stuff over this weird flashing background and newspaper clippings, and you've got little introductions to all the characters. And it was accompanied by the song Big O, which is this really cool, bombastic song with all these backing vocals and shrieking guitars. It's a really excellent song that is marred by only one problem, which is that it is an extremely obvious ripoff of Queen's theme to the Flash Gordon movie from the 80s. Yeah. Um, probably intentional. Who's ever heard of the Japanese doing that, though? Now, it, it, frankly, frankly, that that's on point enough that I suspect that's intentional. Like, it's, it's yeah. supposed to remind you of it. Um, yeah, but I always kind it, of assumed that, that they did that on purpose. Yeah, but it's very clear that at some point, somebody along the chain got kind of cold feet about it and elected oh. to replace it with this one. Um, uh-huh. Now, and uh, later, uh, you have season two. Uh, which has an OP animation that's very similar to the one on this one. It's a little different in a few places, but it's it's the same kind of like taking footage from the show kind of thing. And it was accompanied by another song uh, by uh, Ruinaga. Um, was it Ruinaga? I think it was. Um, I forget the title of it. Um, it's this fun sort of jazzy, very 1960 sounding instrumental. Uh, it's a really nice song, but it's also marred by one thing, which is that it's an extremely obvious ripoff of the song from UFO, a not-as-well-remembered Jerry Anderson show from the 70s. It's not one of his super marionette things like Thunderbirds. It's one of the ones with real people in it. Ah, uh, okay. And I've heard the two, and it's it's the same song. Like, it's arranged a little differently in Big O, but it's the same song. Yeah. Wikipedia uh, cl claims it's an homage, but... I mean, I... I <laughs> I buy the first one's an homage because people would definitely recognize that. I don't know how well remembered UFO would have been like anywhere in two thousand and three. Right. Um. That one. That was that one. They got cold feet on it so badly it didn't even make it to home video. I have the old Bondi release for Big O season two. It uses this newer song with the uh, OP animation from the first season. Right. Uh, like it did. It only made it to air. I think they were like, okay, we're gonna get sued if we let this continue. <laughs> in, yeah, the, in, and... the defense, in the defense it's a great song it really matches the animation it's just you know a little too blatant and for the record the the op that is included on the sentai blu-ray and is basically the standard is um mm -hmm. is from an animax rebroadcast from like 2007 i believe yeah that's that's what ann says uh yeah Fun times. Uh, this is probably a good time to mention that we are only covering the first season. Yes. Um, m mostly because it's easier to do that, and but I personally think they're two different shows in a lot of ways, so I figured just talking about the first season would be fine. So, 
I mean, the second one is called the Big O Two, so and it, and it was could, making. There was like a two-year gap between the production cycles. Yeah, so. it was only made because Adult Swim let them, basically, right? It's, so I mean, Big O is one of those weird anime that is like in Japan, it was just kind of a flop. In the United States, we just yeah. ate it up. Exactly, like Trigun. Yeah, like, the, the Japanese hated Trigun, but we loved it over here. So. Um, alright, so do we want to get started with the list? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So, um, for the... So, we'll get started with the ADR director and ADR script writers. Um, for the ADR director, we have the legendary Mr. Kevin Seymour. And for the, uh, script writers, we have Leah Sargent and Mary C. Mason. So, um, who wants to get started? Um, you know what? I'll go first. Okay. Um, kind of straightforward talk here. Um, it is the the direction and the the script writing are very very strong in the Big O. This is very much the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, you know what? We are like legit. <laughs> If we're dubbing something that's not necessarily for kids, um, let, let's let try to actually make it as entertaining as we can. Without going too urban vision. Right. right. <laughs> Without going too heavy on the camp or the, uh, or, you know, the, the wackiness of... It, it was kind of this sweet spot of, of dubbing um, in that era when they were like, We'll be accurate, but we'll also give our own interpretation. Right. And I think that really helps a big O. Yeah. Where it is very firmly rooted in 40s, 50s Americana, as well as... Actually, you could pretty much make an argument that it's, you know, late 30s through the 60s. Referencing pop culture in various different time periods. Right. And making this majestic hodgepodge of a series. It's one of the best looking anime ever. Like, don't at me. Honestly. <laughs> it definitely has an aesthetic to it. Yeah. I, I guess I just, I love that aesthetic. So, to me, it just... But the, the way that it's shot and the way that it's filmed just makes it look so good. Well. Well, first and foremost, casting is spot on. Um, yeah. All of the characters sound like their voices ought to be coming out of the character designs. Yeah. I, I will say some of the delivery's a little rough in a couple places, but that's just 90s dubbing. Yeah, that's... So. Like, it's it's one of those sacrifices of this very kind of early-ish era. Yeah. I mean, we I We were still I say, trying to figure out how to do it, but... They still did it phenomenally well, given the time. Right. So, And, and I say, like, very early era-ish, but, uh, like, anime's been getting dubbed since the 60s. Um, uh, but this is where it really, the process of anime dubbing really started to get commercial, in my opinion. Mm. Right. I just thought I needed to give that a little bit of clarification. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back on the direction and script writing, it feels very rooted in reality. And 
it definitely takes its sort of noir vibes very seriously. Yeah. It feels like adults talking. Yes. Yeah, that's... Um, one of the things the show always reminds me of is... Uh, I talk about this with a friend of mine a lot, is like movies that are for adults, but not in the sense that they're like R-rated or anything, just in the sense of like no one under the age of like 20 is going to be interested in this. Yeah, although we're like, all under the age of 20. I know, but in the in the set in the set in the sense of like, oh, this is made this is made for adults in the sense of like this is sort of paced and toned for them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rather than like you know, oh, it's oh, it's so sexy and lurid. It's like nah, it's just like adults are gonna be interested. Right. There's actually like no real sex in it. Honestly. No, not really. Uh, yeah, I, oh. I, I I'm in agreement. Like I I this is this is. I mean, it's hard to say I don't enjoy this dub. I saw it when I was what thirteen. And it's about, you know, a guy piling around a giant robot and hitting monsters and other giant robots. Like Exactly. I, I'm, not, I'm not, even even if this was bad, which I don't think it is, but even if it was, I'm not sure I could really view it that objectively. It's too... I had a moment watching this wondering, is this a show that is specifically designed to appeal to me? Or do I like it because it's the, re it's the reason I have this taste in the first place? Yeah. Like, it's what... it's funny because I tweeted when I started watching this again for this episode. Like I tweeted, literally watched just five seconds of this anime. God, this show is so good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I I agree. I think the casting's really spot on. I think everyone's really well directed. I think the script it feels right. Like it it does a good job of nailing the tone that I think the show is going for. Uh, it just right. it, it it just it complements everything really well. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there's definitely kind of a Bogart era esque film kind of sound to it, I would say. Um, I guess I'll take over from here. Um, it's it's really important to acknowledge like the significance of Kevin Seymour in the anime dubbing community. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like it, it really can't. Even though, okay, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn is the ADR director of Cowboy Bebop. She is the director of the gold standard of, of dubbing. But there is kind of this element of Kevin's, if it wasn't for Kevin Seymour, we never would have had these dubs. Like, if it wasn't for the extra steps he took to really bring, well, if, if he didn't fall, if he didn't follow in the steps of, Ke of Carl Masick, we never would have gotten to this point in dubbing. I don't think. I'll die on this hill. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting to kind of see him at his, like, doing his craft in this show particularly. Um, and it's funny because you look at the big three, the big three of the Toonami, aside from, like, Dragon Ball Z and Yu Yu Hakusho, I, I, I guess it's more Adult Swim, but you get what I mean. You got Cowboy Bebop, you've got Outlaw Star, and you've got Trigon. Big O is kind of the fourth. The, the the fifth beetle, if you will. Like, it's it's sort of this one that didn't really make the mark that the other three did. And yet it it, it almost it feels more polished than like Outlaw Star and Trigon in some ways. I mean, how do you guys feel about that? Yeah, actually that that makes a lot of sense. Um mm. Yeah, and I, I love I love the dubs for Outlaw Star and Dragon. Don't get me wrong, but 
the fact that Kevin Seymour had the reins on this one, I think it shows... I, I think it really gives it more of a polish than Trigun and Outlaw Star. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're... And something else to consider, too, is a lot of the people who worked on this are TV actors. They were TV actors before they were dub actors. Oh, that... Except, except for, of course, the voice of Roger, but we'll get into that. <laughs> right. Um, but a lot of these people came from TV, and that's a lot of where the detective noir kind of stuff thrived for a long time was was tv like once once it stopped being in films it moved to tv and that's where a lot of these actors kind of learned how to act so yeah yeah any other thoughts um oh, shit's shit. off the chain yo <laughs> True, it truly do be it do be like that sometimes it do be like that sometimes they think uh, it don't be like that, but it do. Uh, we have fun here. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's also funny. I, I it's also funny that Kevin Seymour actually doesn't voice anybody. <laughs> I guess. Do we want to get into the actors now and the characters? Yeah. Sure. So let's get started with uh, two kind of tertiary characters who also are um, fairly important to a lot of the plot points of the show. Um. Let's start with Alex Rosewater and Big Ear. Not Big O, Big Ear. Um, Alex Rosewater is kind of like the... Um, shoot, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Jonathan Frakes' character in, in Gargoyles. Zan oh, Xanatos. Xanatos, yeah. He's the Xanatos of this series, basically. Gargoyles also probably <laughs> has a lot of connections to the Big O, too. Um, and Big Ear is kind of the informant for, uh, for Roger Smith, as he provides him with most of the information that he needs to be able to, uh, secure his jobs. So, um, this is a particularly fun one to talk about. Um, first and foremost, we'll talk about, um, Big Ear, who is voiced by Jameson Price. Sorry. Jameson Price! Um... And the second one, <laughs> and Alex, and uh, the second one, uh, Alex Rosewater is voiced by um, Michael Forrest. Now, Michael Forrest. Well, we'll, we'll talk about Jameson Price. Jameson Price, you might best know as uh, Excandar from Fate Zero. Um, uh, he was the bad guy in Jigen's Gravestone. Um, I can't remember the name of that character. To be honest. Um, oh, of course, he, he's Sojiro in, in Persona 5, which is probably one of his biggest roles currently. Um, he was, uh, Fujimaki in Megalobox. Yeah, this is all really obvious now that I'm seeing it. Um, oh yeah, uh, Dreyfus in Seven Deadly Sins. Oh yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's Mr. Satan in the California Dragon Ball. Super dumb. That's really funny. Yeah, a lot of his stuff is just obvious, but it's, you know, what do you draw from when you describe these things? There's been a lot of Transformers, too. Wow, I didn't know. Um, okay. But uh, Michael Forrest, um, probably not as well known for his anime dubbing work. He's probably best known, and this goes into what I was saying earlier, 
is his television work. Um, most sci-fi geeks will probably know him best as Apollo from Star Trek. Really? Uh, and also he was like in uh, Melancholy of Horror, he's Suzumiya. <laughs> so, um, uh, Mondul, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, let's see. I, also, I just like any excuse to go, Apollo! <laughs> uh, where to start? Um, I don't have a lot to say about Jameson's performance, and it's just great. He's got that great, deep baritone yeah. that's so good for this. He doesn't uh, do much, but he's damn good at it. You know, Big, big, big Ear usually just shows up to provide some, like, general expo exposition for what's going to happen that episode. Exactly. Uh, and it, it, he doesn't have to do a lot, but boy, does he sound good doing it. Mega Man, Mega Man, Mega Man, make sure to use your... <laughs> Has he, has he played Dr. Light at some point? That seems like no. an obvious casting choice. But you know who I really want him to play that he still hasn't played yet? Mm-hmm. Raul in Fist of the North Star. How has that not happened yet? No Fist of the North Star anime. Yeah. Need to know one of those first. Right. And I want Patrick Seitz as Souther. Anyway, moving on. Um. Uh, yeah, no, he he's good. And uh, I like Michael Forrest a lot. He does a really nice job playing this, like... Just very cagey, sinister. Like comparing him to Xanatos feels very on point now that you mention it. It's like it feels that very like you know he's 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 got all this power, but he's very ominous and mysterious, and yeah. he's not going to show what's happening. Um, also, I'd not appreciate it when you said that he was in Star Trek. He's in like 1967 Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jesus no. Christ. Uh, yeah, no, like, I, I mean, I, and I, I mean, I not realized how long he's been acting, but you can tell, like, he's, he's, he's... He's, like, 90 now. Jesus I mean, Christ. Yeah. He's, he's like, one of the last surviving... Yeah, he's still alive. Wow. Yeah. All right, you know what, if nothing else, let's see, if he, let's see, he probably would have been, like, what, in his... Christ, he would have been in, like, what, his 60s, at least, when he was doing this role? He does not, Something he does like not that. sound that old. I No, he doesn't. Just... Straight up, like I would not, I would not have guessed. I would have guessed he would have been a significantly younger actor. Like he does, he does. He's great. No, like he was him. a young actor when he was Apollo in Star Trek. I know that's <laughs> Jesus. Christ. He's like, oh boy. Okay. Um, no, th this goes into what I was saying about how like a lot of these actors are TV actors. You're not, you're not wrong. Yeah. So that's that's where a lot of like the Harmony Gold and like you, you know um us. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, Streamline? Streamline, thank you. That's where a lot of the Harmony Gold and Streamline people came from, was television. Hmm. So. Yeah, no, like, uh, Michael's great, and now now I'm just more impressed. Yeah. Dang. I mean, it's, it's really cool, like, because I grew up watching Star Trek, so it's really cool to see, like, an actor from Star Trek be in an anime dub. You know, because you don't, you don't think about that. You don't... You, Whenever there's, like, stars like that in an anime dub, it's usually, like, a guest star. You don't think about them actually getting into the world of anime dubbing. So, yeah. Like, when uh, Peter Mayhew was, like, in a DBZ dub or something. I think that happened once. Yeah, um, the Dragon Ball GT made-for-TV movie. Um, there's actually a really great story. Um, Christopher Bevins tells at conventions about directing Peter Mayhew. And if you, you know, when cons open back up and if you happen to be one, at one where Christopher Bevins has a panel, 
Ask him about it. It's it's really fun. Hmm. I think I will, then. Uh, but yeah, but in those cases, it's more like a guest star where they're like, oh, look who we got for this dub. But in Alex Rosewater, in Michael Forrest's case, it's just, he just does dubs. <laughs> like, he's one of the, he's one of the crew. <laughs> so... And a, a lot of these guys, like, I'm pretty sure Jameson Price came from television. Like, I can't, I can't say where, but I want to say he got a start in television. That feels about right. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's, the, the more, the more I learn about this, the more I realize how much of the California scene on the older side are just, like, TV actors who've right. kind of fell into voice acting at some point. So, like, What's this? I buy that. What's this? It's from Japan? Ah, oh, whatever, it's money. <laughs> That's probably where it started. <laughs> oh, no, it 100% just started. It's like, hey, a paycheck. I'll do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Carl Masick, Carl Masick just going around, hey, you've got a great voice. Why don't you come and do this for me? So. Oh. Now that's a canon movie. All right. Anyway. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, I've basically said everything I have to say about them, too. Like, they're both very talented actors, um, and they both fit these roles extremely well. Um, this this has to have mature-sounding people to it for it to work, and you can't get much more mature than Jameson Price and Alex For or Michael Forrest, sorry. So, yeah, no, uh, two thumbs up for me from these two. Yeah. I actually happen to really like sort of... The air of menace uh, that Michael Forrest gives um, Alexander Rosewater. He's got um, a great voice. He really Because you don't... The funny thing about Alex Rosewater is you don't know why he's such a threat until the second season rolls around. I'm not going to spoil why. Right. But when he, when he pulls his big move, it is a big move. Everything's big in the big O. <laughs> big O's and big ears. Um, like I, I like Michael. Uh, blah, 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 blah. I know oh. it, it's really hard <laughs> to get the two names. <laughs> I know. Michael um, Rosewater. I mean Alex Forrest. I mean, god dang it! Like the parts of Michael Forrest's performance are things that we're not covering in this episode. Because he right. he goes whole ham in season two, and it's it's <laughs> great. Apollo. <laughs> um, and Jameson Price as the big ear. Um, I I just it, it's great. Um, like he's just there in a coffee shop giving Roger advice, and then Roger slips him a twenty under his coffee cup, and that's basically the crux of his character until season two reveals his true nature yeah i i just love these two characters and their actors because it's uh, yeah thinking because i'm tired no. <laughs> it's cool man don't worry about it um so do we want to move on yeah yeah okay uh so yeah are we good to move on yeah. Alright, so, um, for the next set, we are going to talk about the essentially main villains, if you don't count Alex Rosewater, essentially the main villains of, uh, of the first season. Um, we are talking about Schwarzwald, 
And Beck Gold, which I did not realize his last name was Gold. <laughs> oh, boy. These yeah. guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. Hang on one second. I just realized. I know who he is, but I forgot his name. <laughs> um, okay. So, yes. For um, for Beck, he is voiced by Robert Burholtz. Uh, or, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, Bookholtz. I looked this up Bukholtz. recently, actually. Bookholtz. Okay. Okay. So for Beck, uh, he is voiced by Robert Bookholtz. And for Schwartzwald, he is voiced by Michael McConaughey. Uh, now, Robert Bookholtz, um, you would probably best know him. He's mostly dubbing now, right? He like yeah, does he's video games. largely a director now. Yeah. I, mostly dubbing. Mostly directing dubs now. That's what I meant to say. Yes. Um, but he's probably best known at this point for Outlaw Star for being Gene Starwind. Uh, I don't wait. Really think what? Of... Oh yeah, I did learn that. I'm sorry. I, I did I... you not know that? Really? I'll be honest. I had not heard of his name prior to learning of him directing like a lot of stuff for Netflix. So I was just unaware he had done any acting, much less anything I was like had like seen. All right, yeah, that makes I... sense. I think I learned that and then forgot about it. Yeah, he actually hasn't done a lot acting wise. Um, it just so happens that he's also Gene Starwind. <laughs> so, oh, there you I go. I did not know this. <laughs> he even sounds like Gene. How did you guys not know this? He even sounds like Gene Starwind. Look, I... I, have not, I have not bothered to look up the cast list of a lot of things I watched <laughs> when I was young, okay? Didn't occur to All me. Right. Fair and enough. I mean, he, he so seldomly acts and dubs nowadays, I didn't even think to check. Yeah. Oh, he was in Beastars. I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, it was like a really, like, m minimal character, but that's cool that he was in Beastars. Um, and uh, Michael McConaughey, of course, has been Charles Lee Britannia. Um, he's also been... God, what else has he done? Michael McConaughey is like one of my favorite actors in dubbing. Um... Uh, he's King Baltra Lannis in, uh, Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, oh yeah, he's, um, Captain... Captain Tennille in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure in the best episode of Stardust Crusaders, in my opinion. <laughs> um, shit, let's go back a little... Oh! <laughs> duh! He's, um, he's Shin in the original Fist of the North Star movie dub. Which is, like, one of my favorite dubs of all time. There you go. Alright, um, I'll go first. I'll go first on this one. Um, like I just, like I said, Michael McConaughey is one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, I, I love him to death. I love how he can be so over the top and boisterous and still give actually a compelling performance. He's one of those actors that can sell camp just super well to the point of where, like, it, it doesn't feel like camp. He's like, he's like, um, uh, you know, he, he's like Frank Gorshin. Like, he can just sell camp and make it feel legit. Um, yeah, and, and Schwartzwald is a great character for that because you've got this loud, villainous, over-the-top, like, I need to make a big scene in this city kind of villain. And it's just the kind of characters that, like, Michael McConaughey was born to play. And, um, yeah, he just, he gives that perfect, like, balance of, like, camp and actual compelling performance that just makes it such a fun, memorable villain. Um, for, um... 
for Beck Gold, um, I, I like I like Robert uh, Buckles, um, but I would say that Beck might be one of the weakest performances here. I, I that might be kind of a, a harsh thing to say, but first of all, there's not much of Beck in the show. I'll admit that he's not, and I I think he sounds fine. But at the same time, some of the delivery felt a little rough in a couple places. I can't really pinpoint exactly where it was, but it just... I don't know, some of it felt a little harsher compared to, like, some of the other performances in this. Um, and I know that he's a one-off villain. Well, a two-off villain. So you don't really need him to be that compelling or that, like, A-plus as a villain. But... I would say compared to a lot of other people here, he just, he isn't quite as strong. I still liked him, but I don't think he was quite as strong. Other thoughts? You want to go first, Roots? Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Um, I just love how sort of extremely campy and boisterous both, um, both Schwartzwald and, um, I'm sorry, Michael Zabok is his, like, his That's actual right. name before he assumes the title of Schwartzwald, which Black is such a... Forest? It is such a great, like... It's such a great noir villain name, honestly. Yes. Because it's got that German expressionism element to it, so... Which is appropriate, because he looks like a Tim Burton character. Exactly, yeah. But um, both him and Beck are just so over-the-top, campy, flamboyant, boisterous. Um, and they have Wait. such... Sorry. Uh, and they have such great performances to match. Um, I actually do quite like um, Baba Coles's, um Beck because, um, as it turns out, he shows up a few more times in season two because he just loves to break out of jail. Mm. <laughs> and each time he shows up, he gets even more cartoonish than the last. And I think for a show as deathly serious as the Big O is trying to be, um, having sort of that jokey sort of, like, like not Mark Hamill's Joker kind of character, more of a, um, oh, I know there was a Batman villain that's just always, always, like, actually, you know what, actually, Mark Hamill's Joker is a good, is a good apt comparison to this, mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's one of those things, like, um, like in the production of Batman the Animated Series, um, the kids reacted better when the Joker was acting like more of a clown. So as the series went on, um, his plots were be were written to make him funnier and funnier. Right. And that's sort of what happens to Beck. And I and it in something as sort of dark and serious is the big O having that little bit of just um having like a comedic palate cleanser is is great every couple of episodes 
Especially when you're marathoning it and... You know... It's, uh, it's just giant robot punchy time. And then all of a sudden you get just... These little comedic moments of... Bet Gold showing up and... Ruining Roger's plans and I I did kind of notice like in the in the second episode featuring Beck that there was kind of like a team a time skeletons kind of feeling to the them in the way that they were and I had to look up this name because I haven't really watched Time Weekend but um the the fact that it was a trio of kind of numbskull villains oh they're they're they are absolutely part of the long long lineage of a uh, trio of absolute morons yeah. Like, I mean, you know, being a kid of the 90s, my favorite reference is, oh, it's it's Team Rocket. Yeah, who were, of course, based on the time scale. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's just hilarious that every time he shows up, he somehow finds a way to fail upwards. <laughs> like, it's, it's great. Um, and Michael McConaughey's Schwarzwald. Um, it is just such beautifully menacing scenery chewing ham especially in the episode where he, where he comes back yes um the episode where he returns with his own sort of giant robot built in the style of the big o um what i love is um and i can't believe the scene actually got through pretty much uncut in the original cartoon network toonami um, where he's having the party and everybody is just having this libaceous time and then as as he's speaking all of a sudden everybody starts screaming and the max the masks light on fire right all to yeah. that all to that muse all, all to that sort of that theme song in the in the soundtrack where they use the theremin mm-hmm like that kid, that terrified me as a kid, but it was so good. And, and I think that's a good addition to what I was saying before about how everything just kind of came together. Because you have the the really great English performances, the great visuals, and the great soundtrack on top of that. Uh, so yeah, both of these performances were absolutely top-notch. Thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah, I'm I'm in agreement. Uh, Michael is great as Schwarzwald. He is so big and enormous and menacing and a and a and a little ridiculous, but not so much that he never feels like an actual opponent. Uh, it's just it's so fun listening to Michael just ham it up so hard for this character. <laughs> He he rises to the character design, uh, which I think if your character is some sort of weird, pointed headed mummy man, like that's that's an important thing to be able to do. Um, yeah, he's a delight, and uh, I I enjoy I enjoy Robert playing Beck. Although I think part of that is, as a child of the '90s, I've realized how much that uh, three idiots try and foil the hero's plan and are generally bad at it. Character type is clearly something that appeals to me. And I just find Beck it was very entertaining because he he has decent plans. He's just not good enough to actually execute them correctly. Right. 
Like when he has the what is it? He he tries to slap the thing on uh, Dorothy's head, and it ends up being he used cheap parts, which is why it didn't work. Right. You moron! You're you're sabotaging yourself. Uh, I just I I just find him very entertaining. I think he's just good at being like the right level of just silly and campy and escalating it as necessary as time goes on. Uh, and again, Wild did not realize that this was the guy who's been directing a bunch of stuff for Netflix the last few years. That's all right. I think I have to turn my dub reviewer card now <laughs> to get a new one in the mail after I pass a test. Uh. Yeah, no, like I, I'm in agreement. These guys, like these guys are great. I loved it. Good times. Love them camp villains. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Um. So, do we want to move on to the next set? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Well, now we have some more ally kinda to uh, um Roger Smith, our main character. Um, but in one's particular case, not so much. Uh, we have Dan Dustin, Angel, and Norman Berg. Um, now, Dan Dustin is voiced by Peter Lurie. Angel is voiced by Wendy Lee. And Norman Berg is voiced, in this particular case, by Milton James. Uh, now, um, for Peter Lurie, you might best know him... He was Leatherhead in the 2012 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles TV show. Um, and he seems to be uh, Kitamaru and uh, Hashirama Sinju. Does that mean anything to you all? <laughs> okay. No. Okay. Yeah, I know um, who that is. He I was... Think. I think being the key words here. He was King or Gale Raregroove in uh, Ravemaster... Uh, there's gotta be something here a little more uh he was the voice of Joggy in the Fist of the North Star TV show and uh, Ark the Lad he was Alfred uh Wendy Lee of course uh Faye Valentine Lisa Lisa Athena Sykes in the Phoenix Wright series oh she was also Yoruichi in Bleach uh oh yeah and of course Haruhi Suzumiya and, and Twilight Suzuka in, in Outlaw Star. Um, and Milton James. Milton James is definitely one I have to look up. Uh, he mostly does video games, it appears. Um, United Paper Man in Grand Theft Auto V. Uh, he's done some Transformers work. Uh, Blast Off, uh, Grax, Aimless. Um, in Street Fighter II, the animated movie, he was Seno and Ninja Scroll... Mushizo, uh, Shinkuro, and Villager B. So, who wants to who wants to start? Um, it's probably my turn this time around. Um, um, I guess I'll start with Dan Dastin. Um, I just love the fact that he sort of plays the straight man to um to Roger Smith's giant robot antics. Um, he's basically the guy shouting at Roger not to cause property damage throughout the city. It, it's great. I, I love he's, their dynamic. He's, he's a very good, like, you know, a, a very good, like, Inspector Zenigata type. So. Right. 
Um, one particular scene I love um, was actually an interaction between him and Roger Smith. Um, oh, I can't remember if it was the um, the episode with the uh, the Phantom in the movie. Right. That I I did not remember that episode mm-hmm. at all. And watching it, I was like, this might be the best episode of the show. Honestly. Mm. It's and a I, good one. Uh, and I love but like he the, and, um, the um, what is it? The son of Amadeus, the legacy of Amadeus. That's that was my favorite episode. But I almost think that that one was better. Watching it again, so yeah. Um, but it was a scene between Dan and Roger where Dan Dessen is is at Roger's apartment. Um, they're they're talking about you know business stuff um military police and negotiator stuff um but he mentions oh do you still have that bottle i uh, obviously referring to like a some either a wine or a whiskey and he's just like i i've been meaning to try that and roger's just like oh yeah i finished that off a little while ago which sort of sums up their relationship in the show really well as well (laughs) That Roger has long since moved on from the the dynamics of, you know, the power dynamics of Paradigm City. And meanwhile, Dan is trapped in, trapped in nostalgia of the past kind of thing. Like, I I really liked it. Right, no, he's got a very good arc. Which doesn't really come into play until later, honestly. Okay. Um, I also do really love Milton James as yeah, Norman. he's excellent. He's actually um, fantastic. I just love how he's sort of the doting butler to Roger Smith, but is also completely capable of yeah. kicking shit in <laughs> himself. Because um, I know the episode with the uh, with the cat. <laughs> he brings out the cat. Uh, when gun. the scientist yeah. comes to, to capture the and he just comes up to the rooftop with just this big ass, like helicopter mounted gun, holding it uh, to shoot down the the sort of airship the the evil scientist is in. Like that was absolutely badass. That's why and speaking got... of and speaking of badass, um, Wendy Lee also did a really great job as Angel. I. I do think it is a little bit of a rehash of her uh, Faye Valentine, but at the same time, the the two character archetypes right. are very, Angel was very similar. Angel was clearly modeled after Fujiko so who who Faye Valentine was also modeled right. after. So uh, it, it's not something I'm going to take points off of because um, she did a really good job, particularly in the episode with the sunken city. Where she and Roger are both trapped there as they're trying to collect memories, and then the uh, the frogmen show up. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they sort of have this conversation throughout the episode about how they got to where they are, and like, like it's one of those episodes where you know most of what ends up going down happens in the past and it's i like those episodes like like you 
the episode starts in the middle of whatever they're doing, and then they have to flash back to how they got there. I. Uh, it's also a common trope in noir films. It's great. And then, of course, um, Angel also... Angel also gets to do some really cool shit in Season 2. So, I, I have to give her props there, just because... You know, this is our opportunity to talk about the big O, so here we go. But I also don't want to spoil anything because, you know, like, the big O2 is an experience. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm basically done. The These were two... I, I'm sorry, these were three really great performances that I absolutely okay. love. Um, Amon, do you want to take over? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, where to start? Uh, this is completely irrelevant, but I do find it funny that this show, so soaked in uh, noir imagery and influence, has an actor in it whose name is One Val Lake. Yeah, Peter yeah, Lori. I, I... Uh, that, that doesn't have anything to do <laughs> with anything. I really had I to, like, funny. catch myself to not say Peter Lori, like, Peter Lori when I was, uh, when I was saying <laughs> his name. You despise, you despise me, though. That's too. a, that's, that's a... There are no no one in the show has no. Peter Lorre well, voice, we get they? some weird goofy voices, which which work. They work. For I know the show, none, of, none, none of them are none of, none, none, none of them are that oh so distinctive Peter Lorre em, voice. Emulate any actual actors for this. That's true. Also, also, I feel like at this point, like right. that's that's a comedy voice. Like more people know that from Looney Tunes when, when than I took, actual um, Peter Lorre movies. So. When I took Chuck Huber's voice acting, well, when I took one of his voice acting classes. He basically had us all um, do terrible impressions, because terrible impressions are the best way to create new voices. Yeah. Right. Well, that's fun. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously, Peter Peter Lur Peter Lurie is a real person and not a reference. Right. Uh, but I like him. I like him a lot. <laughs> that's the quote of the night right there. Peter Lurie is a real person, not a reference. There we go. <laughs> That's well. That's 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 just me talking to JoJo fans. It's like <laughs> Roundabout is not a meme. It is a real goddamn song. Have some fucking respect, you children. <laughs> and watch them all in order. Uh, anyway, I don't it's... care what Mother's Basement says. Anyway, Ooh, hot... Exactly. hot takes on this on the podcast tonight. Um... Uh, but I, I like Fury Lurie's performance a lot. Uh, I enjoyed his sort of just sort of weariness uh at you know he's he's got this old buddy who he hangs out with and he tries to solve mysteries and occasionally this goddamn robot yeah, keeps exactly. showing up and destroying buildings a, no a number of which seem to be uninhabited but i'm sure he has exactly. to fight, fill you out know, the paperwork regardless I, I mean, so you know it's as no much fun as you're kind of like well he has to destroy these these like monsters you do kind of get why dostin is like uh -huh. no what are you doing stop you know Dasa's just like, look, all of yeah. this is way above my pay grade, and I'm tired of dealing with it. Please, please go away. Um, but he, I, I like, he, I think he, tur he turns in a really yeah. fun performance in that way. I like a lot of his interactions with Roger. You can really sense the camaraderie between these characters. Uh, the few times I've heard Peter Lurie, this is definitely his best performance. Yeah, I, I, I buy that. And um, and yeah, the like his spotlight yeah. episode, which is was it Winter Phantasm or whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, like I think he Winter just Spirit. he does such an excellent job there. I think you know he he takes a character who I think 
uh, isn't quite comic relief, but I think Austin is, you know, oh, he's yeah. be he's bemoaning the, you know, he he's he is used comedically occasionally, and I think it gives him a lot of real depth and pathos that I think Peter that... Peter like steps up to the plate to uh, like meet. That's a great aspect of a show that's surrounded by such a big mystery is it shows that everybody has more depth to them than what appears on the surface. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, I, I enjoy his performance a lot. Um, but it's like, when, Wendy Lee's a hoot is angel. She's just good at being yeah. so... Wendy Lee is Wendy Lee. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna sit here and shit talk Wendy Lee. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, <laughs> Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah uh, uh, oh, I thought it was just okay. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, she. It is a shame Angel doesn't get to do too much in this season. No. So. But like, when like Wendy's good. She nails the character. She is fun whenever yeah. she shows up. She also is just she like bounces off of Roger really well. Like I I I just enjoy seeing her. Uh, it makes me think she was definitely a strong second choice for when they were when they were doing, like, the Genian dub for Lupin, she was probably, like, a strong second choice for Fujiko. Undoubtedly. Yeah. I, I get the feeling it was between her and Michelle Ruff, and they just ended up going with Michelle Ruff. Mm. So. Uh, yeah, no, she's... She's a lot. She's just a lot of fun. I think she really nails the character. She's a blast whenever she shows up. Uh, let's talk about the real champion of the section. <laughs> the uh, real MVP. A, vo a, vo a voice so British it is wearing a monocle despite not having any form. And he's not British. That's what's so funny. <laughs> oh, I know. It's... I'm, I'm pretty sure Milton James is American. Which is so... which is strange because Milton James is an aggressively British name. Yeah, I know, isn't it? It's like it's like uh, I don't think I don't think Alan Oppenheimer is British either. <laughs> honestly. Uh and Alan Oppenheimer actually went on to voice Alfred in a Batman oh, that's like right. in Batman Under the Red Hood. So, I don't think Milton James ever did, though. No, that's... So. I mean, oh, uh, that's right! Milton James died! I forgot about that. <laughs> no, I, I know, no. That, that that sounded bad, but I, I, I really do mean that as, like, oh, that's right, he passed away two years ago. No, no, I... So. I look, I look. I understand completely. It happens. Yeah. Um, that sounded way less, like, sympathetic than it meant to be, but I, I really... Uh, that really is very sad that he died a couple years ago. No, I, I so. agree. He's... Like he yeah. he is he is so good here. I I mean, look. It, I think the obvious comparison is Nor Norman. Norman has a lot of Alfred Pennyworth in him, and I think Milton exactly. Yeah, and I think but I think Milton does a good job of making Norm. Having watched a lot of Batman the animated series growing up and reading a lot of Batman comics, I do think Milton does a good job of making Norman feel like yes, he is that he's part of that archetype, but he's not just yeah. a generic carbon copy of that character. No, uh, I will say Norman is more Alfred than Roger is Bruce Wayne. Oh, so. I, I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I just I, I just like what Milton brings to the role. He always manages to make him sound so... He puts a lot of Jeeves in him. I think that's part of it. It's like there's that very, yeah. like, refined... That Stephen Fry kind of dry humor. Yeah, just, and, he's, and he's always very calm and collected no matter what the scenario is. It's like... Ah, Roger needs me to drive out to this uh, store to pick up uh, a Jerris, and there's a giant yeah. robot. It's a giant plant attack happening. Ah, no worries. Yes. She'll simply all, of it, hop, all in a day's work. So simply hop on my motorbike and burst through the store and pick up the woman in question who has the coat. No yeah. problem. Uh, he is he is he is the he is the true gentleman's gentleman in the in the strange and upsetting future of uh, Paradise exactly. City. Uh, Paradigm City, not Paradise City, but you know what I mean. Paradise, take me down to the Paradigm City. 
<laughs> where no, where uh, the grass is green and no one remembers what the fuck's going on. <laughs> uh, you know, I just he 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 just he, he plays the character so well. He's such a delight. Uh, I just I really enjoy him here. He feels so he feels so correct for the character. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I've nothing but praises for him. He's top notch. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't have that much to add. Um, I like I said uh, of all of the minimal amount of Peter Lurie performances I've heard, I definitely think Dan Dawson is his best. I think he fits the character extremely well. Um, and, and like I said, Wendy Lee is Wendy Lee. There's like you, she's never really given a performance that I disliked or didn't love. Um. Uh, and yeah, Milton James is absolutely fantastic as Norman. I would say Milton James is one of the top performances of this dub. Um, just because he sells the character extremely well, and his voice is just nearly one-to-one. And I'm not trying to downplay Alan Oppenheimer, although I haven't heard much of his performances, uh, as Norman but I definitely think Milton James had this uniqueness to his voice that just fit the character perfectly. So. Um, yep. So, do we want to move on to the last two? Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Um, so, we're rounding out the cast with the two main and, um, like, most important characters of the show. We've got our Dorothy Wainwright, the young the little robot girl lost uh looking for answers to who she is and what she is and of course roger smith the the negotiator and the pilot of the big o now um our dorothy wainwright uh is voiced by leah Sargent, and roger smith ironically not voiced by roger craig smith but but uh steve bloom yep um now in cowboy now, now leah Sargent has been judy and cowboy bebop um she was millie and trigun uh that's right she was chun lee in the in the street fighter 2 movie um uh kaide fujieta in sakura wars the movie um Tachikoma in Ghost in the Shell uh, Standalone Complex Second Gig and uh, she was Sybil in Black Magic M66 and Steve Bloom of course of course has been in Cowboy Bebop as Spike Spiegel um, he's pretty much the lone voice of Wolverine at this point um, he's done Vilgax and Ben 10. <laughs> I mean, he's just At this about, point, he's more known for... At this point, he's in just about every video game that's ever produced. Like, the triple the A variety. At this point, he's done way more cartoons than he has anime. Yeah. Honestly. Um... Going for anime, he was Mugen, Sh Samurai Champloo. Uh, he was uh, Onizuka and Great Teacher Onizuka. He was in the Giver. He was Amon and, Le and Legend of Korra. Let's let's stop there. <laughs> yeah, I mean we could be here all day naming off the stuff that he's done. Actually, literally yeah. all day. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, we could actually take up the whole podcast talking about his credits. Uh, oh, yeah, and he's Tom in Toonami. Um, <laughs> probably a one that we should probably mention. Um, so, he's also on TikTok. I follow him on TikTok. Um, so, yeah, uh, Amon, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, so here, here's a fun fact for you. Uh, my understanding is when they were developing the show, most of the major characters and so on, uh, were originally, uh, this is what I read originally, like, they had some roots in something, uh, Keiichi Sato, who was the, like, mechanical designer who worked on Giant Robo, kind of came up with the initial idea. Most of them had some roots in something he had made up. Uh, and the one difference is at some point he apparently doodled kind of like, uh, I think sort of a generic girl, and it's like, this is a sidekick Roger has. I think her name is Dorothy. Um, and that's really all his involvement. Apparently Dorothy is almost 100% an invention of uh, Chiaki J. Kanaka, who is like the main writer of the series. Ah. Uh, listeners at home who have heard me talk on this show are going to be incredibly unsurprised to learn that I am a big Chiaki J. Kanaka fan, because of course I am. <laughs> Look at what I enjoy. So it's kind of a Silver Surfer kind of situation where, like, Jack Kirby came up with the Silver Surfer, but Stan Lee kind of came up with the backstory and all that stuff. Should that, uh, given that I know about the relationship, that might have been the other way around of, like, Stan Lee wrote, there's a Herald, and Jack Lee's like, Jack Kirby's like, all right, it's a Silver <laughs> Surfer. Okay. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not sure. Anyways, off topic. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he apparently Dorothy is just, like, almost entirely his creation from, like, the look on down. Uh, which makes sense. This is the man who made Serial Experiments Lane. I buy it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know how how well to express how perfect I think Leah Sargent is as Dorothy. I know. Uh, right? I think I definitely part of it is I can definitely remember seeing ads on Toonami for Big O when it was running, and. I don't remember if this is the line they ended on, but there's definitely somewhere in there where they had the clip from the first episode where um, Dorothy's just been, like, in the immediate aftermath of Dor Dorothy being caught in a rocket explosion where she just shuts the door and just says, You're a real louse, Roger Smith. And it's like, <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. There, there's, there's no better delivery of that line from anybody. <laughs> uh, no, I think, she, I think she is just wonderful. She is so good at playing this character who is a robot and like and not in like a like she has some of that you know star trek isaac asimov you know what does it mean to be human stuff in there but it's also like no she's a robot like she creaks when she turns her neck and she's very mechanically animated on purpose uh, exactly. and i think she does a very wonderful job of maintaining that artificiality without being too monotonous and stiff like dorothy sounds like a person she just sounds like she sounds like a really good approximation of a person if that right, makes because sense that, that's the whole point of the first episode mm -hmm. is you know roger can't tell that she's an android until he's told basically yeah and i i think i think leah just does such a wonderful job of matching that uh because you'll, you'll see you know what is it the one i like best is uh, at the end of the episode with the big plant monster where like roger's giving her this dress and she's just kind of spinning around and she's clearly very happy she got this but she also has the exact same expression she always has exactly and it's a weird it's a weird effect i think leah does a really good job of getting getting at that like that sense right. of like there's there's humanity here but she's still she's still an android 
and there is still a ceiling on where that can go exactly and she's very aware of that and i think leah tap does also does a good job of tapping into that sort of pathos and angst that dorothy has about her being an android and what that kind of means with regard to her being a person right um which i think is hard like that's that's not an easy trick to pull off and i think leah makes it seem shockingly effortless uh, and i'm i'm always very impressed by it <laughs> uh complimentarily uh i can't imagine anyone playing roger other than steve bloom it's too good it's too right. perfect i don't know how does i don't know does one how does one sing the praises of stephen bloom in 2020 it feels redundant yeah what am, what am i really going to say exactly but he's good uh he does the like you know he does the noir narration stuff really really well uh he always manages to make it sound like not like not not dated but not not dated and not cheesy like it feels very authentic and earned like you know when he's he's talking about you know this paradigm city a city a, a city with no memories and what have you um and he just plays roger very well he's good at being you know He's serious and solemn, and he's very, very professional. And his nice sharp, sharp shoots, and his cool car, uh, and his fancy watch. But he's, you know, he's got a little bit of humor to him. Uh, and I also like that he just he plays the like kind of rich layabout part of Roger Smith really well, where he gets cranky if he gets woken up before noon. Uh, and well, Roger, if you're going to get mad about that, you probably should invite Dorothy over because Dorothy does not care. It's <laughs> nine o'clock. You should be awake. All the other adults are up. What are you doing? <laughs> uh and and for that matter like i think their repartee is really well done uh Dor Dor dorothy is just a fine in addition to all, like you know the being a robot and all that she's just a fine example of like characters who are nominally assistants but clearly are going to take exactly zero zero shit from their employer <laughs> and just like mm -hmm. Ro roger you're being an idiot stop it <laughs> <laughs> uh and she, they're just they're very funny together i really like them uh i don't know what else i don't it's good i like i like that roger even though he's he doesn't really get dorothy he's not really mean to her necessarily like anytime he he like alienates her or anyway he kind of apologizes for it you know yeah there's yeah. There's, there's a very like Roger has his own baggage, but it's also very like, well, Dorothy's, Dorothy's, Dorothy doesn't mean harm or anything. There's no reason to yeah. be mean. You're good, you're good friend, Dorothy. I brought you this dress. <laughs> it's Christmas. Or not Christmas, I guess. It's, it's Heaven's Day. Heaven's Day. <laughs> it's, it's Life Day. Life day. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> not Life Day. Not Life Day. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything particularly insightful to add. They're real good. Uh, if you don't believe me, watch the show. You'll, you'll see that I'm right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'll go next, then get my thoughts out, and, uh, then you can go, Roots. Okay. Um, so yeah, not, not terribly much to add. I think it's really cool when someone who works behind the scenes also comes forward and plays the character as well, and it's really, really cool when that person plays the character extremely well. I think Leah Sargent is an incredibly underrated, like, person in the in the world of dubbing. I don't think she gets nearly enough credit that she does. Um, 
I, I it's just it's really her performance as as Dorothy is something really really special it's amazing how much emotion you can get out of a character that has none. And, uh, you know, it's it's really not much else can be said, honestly, but it, it, it Dorothy is such a great character. She's such an interesting character in, in the way that she, she's kind of this Asimovian type con concept of a character. And <clears throat> I, I have actually recently seen Robot Carnival. Uh, I recently watched it because Retro Crush did a premiere of it on YouTube. It was really fun. I got to meet a lot of cool people. It was a great time. And it's really cool to see... Anime really does robots really well. <laughs> and I know it's 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 interesting to say that with, like, mecha and all that. But when they do, like, down-to-earth, more less mecha robots, it's really, really fun to watch. Because the Japanese just get robots. <laughs> And it's really fun to see an actress like Leah Sargent who just understands that so well. And much like Wendy Lee's Wendy Lee, Steve Bloom is Steve Bloom. <laughs> what can be said? Um, Roger Smith is a great... Roger Smith is probably his second best character under Spike's Beagle. Um, and the great thing is, they're very different. Roger Smith and Spike Spiegel are not the same guy at all and like hmm um i kind of noticed a bit of a humphrey bogartness to his performances roger smith did anybody else get that yeah you know uh now it that is... you mention it a bit yeah i i have a dumb friend i have a dumb point of reference here that i can share really uh sure. so spike spike spiegel i uh no Steve Bloom has played two between Roger and Spike Spiegel. He has played two characters who invoke uh, actors who have played Philip Marlowe, and the big difference is that uh, Roger Smith clearly invokes uh, any time that Humphrey Bogart played him. You know, it's very there's something very you know classic and uh, you know uh, competent, maybe even a little old fashioned about the, the, it. The, the, and de Spike the debonair broken man. Basically, yeah, and um, Spike Spiegel embodies Philip Marlowe when he's played by Elliot Gould in Long Goodbye, which means he is weird and sloppy and very 1970s, even though he really shouldn't be. No, 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 no one talks about the Long Goodbye as an influence on Cowboy Bebop, but I swear to God, like, it's in there. I can see it. That, that's that's about as highbrow as we're gonna get tonight, Amar. <laughs> oh, you bet. So. Uh, but that's all my thoughts. I, I really can't add much else to that. But so take it away, Roots. Okay. Um. Yeah, I can preface this by saying I'm probably not going to be saying anything bad about you know uh, Leia Sargent or Steve Bloom's performances. Um. I I love Dorothy's sort of robotic but not entirely devoid of emotion tone um it like it is very clear that she is she has some modicum of understanding of how humans behave and she's not only trying to emulate it she's trying to express it herself as the course of the show goes along and she sort of grows on roger smith 
Um, I think this is really kind of personified in an episode I mentioned before, the episode with the cat. Um, especially toward the end when she realizes, oh yeah, the, the cat is sort of a re-bio-engineered version of somebody's child, and um, when it turns into the giant robot, fights Big O, and then turns on its master. Um, that was like a Rintaro episode, I swear to God. Yeah. A cat that was a kid that becomes a giant demonic like monster cat. Uh, but then it throws itself into the, the burning laboratory from which it was born. And at the end of the episode, Dorothy is just on top of Roger's apartment trying to process everything that went down. Um, and she and Roger have a really good talk about it. And that's like, that is one of the scenes that really strikes out to me as sort of the, the emotional core of the Big O. And you wouldn't expect this from an anime about giant diesel punky punchy robots but you know there it is with Man. sort of a Twin Peaks-esque psychological aspect to it um and Steve Bloom's Roger Smith um I love how Steve Bloom plays him as sort of the perennial bachelor down to the point where he is just this rich slob who likes to dress in fancy suits and solve people's problems. Um, again, a lot of the stuff I like about Steve Bloom's performance here is sort of stuff from season two. Um, especially the first episode. Um, but one particular moment I like is actually one that sort of bleeds over from season one into season two. Um, where he's fighting a bunch of, uh, giant robots in the, in the sea trying to invade Paradigm City. And he has this spiel about how he likes to stand out in the rain without an umbrella. And, you know, that is what it means to be free as he looks at the, the tomato Gordon Rosewater gave him. Which, um... Tomatoes in the show have a lot of symbolism, let's just say. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like Steve Bloom does a really great job with the duality of Roger Smith. You know, you have the the cool, calm, collected negotiator Roger Smith, and then you also have the perennial sloppy bachelor who's annoyed, who's he's been woken up at. Nine o'clock instead of noon. And his dynamic with a bunch of the other characters is something I absolutely love. Um, just between him and Dorothy, him and Angel, him and Norman, Dan Daston. Like how everybody interacts with him and how he interacts with them. It's this really great sort of core... It's the thing I talk about a lot on this show that I really love to see in dubs. It is punchiness and it's banter. Yeah, because it's it's hard to get that. So, 
Like, all, all of Roger Smith's dialogue fits the sort of tone that Roger is trying to convey. But it's also really punchy, and his interactions with people feel organic. And in an anime dub, that is about the highest praise you can give. So, very solid thumbs up all around. Do we want to... Um... Do we want to wrap this all up, gentlemen, with final thoughts? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I will start us off. Um, back when I first got was getting into anime and was trying to watch stuff, uh, The Big O was one of the first anime I really got into. And having rewatched it, it still holds up just as well. Honestly, not, not a stitch out of place as far as I'm concerned. Um, it's still every bit the, the anime that I loved and the dub that I loved and just the fact that I really could see like what anime could be and you know I was a late bloomer when it came to my anime obsession um, like I said I started really when I was about 18 and it just it really it's so different but it's so good and how it's different. Things can be different and be bad. Big O is something that's different that's really, really good. And this dub is just so well done by people who really get this genre and understand how to, like, read the lines and deliver the lines and just how they need to sound. And it never feels like parody. It always feels like... It, it always feels 100% sincere. And I love that about it. Um, that's all I can really say, honestly. <laughs> Alright, um, so I don't think it's going to be an understatement when I call the Big O absolutely timeless. Mm -hmm. um, it is an absolutely wonderful show from the first frame of episode 1 to the final frame of episode 26. The character dynamics are incredibly well-grounded and mature. Um, and you got giant sort of art deco robots beating the living tar out of each other. Like, what is there not to love about that? And, and like, giant B-movie monsters. Um, it is absolutely a product of just about every decade of American pop culture that one can remember. Simultaneously. And that is a hard feat to juggle with American-made productions. Um, I am absolutely stunned that this is just not something that is referenced or utilized very much in, um, in U.S. pop culture, uh, the way something like Cowboy Bebop is. Because uh, this... Like, I could probably show this to my nephew in a few years, and he will just absolutely adore it. Yeah. Because um, it it feels like anime, but at the same time, it doesn't. And I think that's one of the greatest lasting legacies I can think of for the show. Uh, and also, the dub is really fucking solid. <laughs> mm -hmm. The thing we're talking about. <laughs> You know, not like like Lack said, not a stitch out of place. Um, 
the world feels alive. Um, everybody interacts with everyone else like an adult. Uh, it's, it's just great TV. Uh, that's all I can say. Yeah, this is... The Big O is a great show. It's a it's a modern classic. I love it to death. Uh, the dub for it is incredibly superb. Uh, it is the exact dub the show needs and deserves to have. Uh, it is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and uh, before, to end this, I want to I want to talk about my favorite performance we didn't talk about, uh, which, mm. which is a which is a, a minor a very minor role that I nonetheless think is very important to the show. Oh, yeah. and that is a, that is an actor. His name is uh, Ezra Weiss, and he plays a very important character. He plays the guy on the phone at the end of each episode that tells you what the title of the next episode is. Dorothy, Dorothy. The, the, just really, the... that's Ezra Weiss. Apparently, yeah, that's him. So so says A and N, and I. Yeah, I, TVA I, when, says that too. In part, I, I compare. I brought up Twin Peaks as a point of reference earlier, and I'll be honest. On this rewatch, it's like, oh my god, this is such a David Lynch thing to do. Yeah, just this weird voice on the phone that doesn't seem to be connected to anything that tells you what's coming next. Also, okay. shout out to shout out to Instrell. Oh yeah, one of my favorite episodes. And can we say his name? Is yeah, that yeah, okay? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, cool. yeah, Kirk Thornton just gives a unbelievably phenomenal performance as our intro. So, even, even all the all, all the all the minor characters are great too in this. Yeah, if we if, yeah. if if we were in the business of five hour episodes, we could just cover all the one off characters. God, please no. And it, it's just great because you don't you never know who's gonna turn up. I'm watching uh, like Winter Night Phantasm, and I'm like, oh, hi, Joshua, Seth. I didn't know you were in this dub. Yeah, no, that was Joshua Seth, wasn't it? That was really funny. It's not even like a big character. It's just Dustin's like, uh, like lieutenant or whatever who's talking to him occasionally. It's like, all right, I'm cool with this. Look at you, Joshua Seth, playing an adult. <laughs> but it's still the tie voice, which is yeah, weird. exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this dub's great. You should you should have, it's it's completely worth your time. Go watch it. Absolutely. Um, where might we find the dub of the Big O if we were, you know, um, looking for it? Um, at this point, the two places you can find it for streaming are High Dive and Verve. Am I correct? Um, I think it might also be available uh, via Adult Swim streaming platform. No, I look. I looked on the. Uh, so, so I looked on there. It is not on there. And really. It, it, Surprise! So, uh, side note for you viewers at home: if you go on High Diver Verb, you will find season one. Season two is not there, which, as far as I know, I think might be an offshoot of the fact that uh, Cartoon Network co-produced season two, and I, my understanding is they have some sort of broadcast rights to it in at least like North American territories, that sort of thing. Uh, surprisingly, okay, but, it is not. But... It is not on Adult Swim's site. I was expecting it to be there, and it is not. Uh, yeah, if you if you if you, Sentai has put out a very nice Blu-ray set. Uh, that has season one and season two. It's very handsome. Uh, you, if you buy it, you, all the disc art is this nice close-ups of uh, the main characters and some of the Mega Deuces. It's very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, at that point, I would just say buy the Blu-rays. It's much less like complicated. <laughs> and for for two whole series, it's it's pretty well priced. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean. 
it, it's also a Sentai Blu-ray, which means it's going to be going on sale a lot yeah. over the course yep. of the year. Thank you, Right Stuff Anime. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so do we want to plug our stuff? Um, I do believe we have one more thing to do, and that is to shout out our current patrons. And, uh, I, hey! uh, uh, <laughs> I, I have the list here. Do you want me to read them off? Yeah. All right. Uh, Cast in the name of God, ye not patron. <laughs> yes. So thank you to our lovely patrons for supporting what we do. Thank you to our $5 tier, B. Morris, Crimson Echidna, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Corazon, and Nico Robin, but with yaoi hands. And thank you. And thank you to our, our members at our $10 tier, Anthony Simpson, Carly Lestikow, Jacob Wilson, J2, a.k.a. Jared, Julia W., and Marissa Lenti. Thank you for your support. Oh, shit. Marissa you guys are Lenti's great. Are... Like a patron? Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. I know, right? Um Alright. Hi Marissa. I don't know if you remember me. I think I think we did like one thing together. But, um So uh yeah. So do we wanna now do we wanna plug our stuff? <laughs> yeah yeah. Alright. Um whichever one of you gentlemen wants to start, go ahead. Uh, um I, sure. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, uh, you you go. Okay. I mean, because you're probably going to have, like, a Dusty song, so... Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can find me on the Twitter.com, at Roots of Justice, um, where I, Roots of Justice, mainly retweet key animal pics. Um, I talk general fandom stuff, anime, movies, whatnot. It's a great time. You should come give me a follow. Um, I am working on... Jeez, I have been working on these reviews for, like, a year, haven't I? I'll find a place to put them, and I'll put them there, and I'll put a link in my Twitter account, and you can read them. And leave nasty, heinous reviews on them. <laughs> and call me no good, and I'll disappear for a couple weeks, and then do it again, because I don't care. Uh, I'm Amon. You can find me on Twitter at, at AmonDuelUS. Duel has two U's in it. I mostly talk about movies and books and comic books and music. And I have a dusty old song for you all tonight. Would you like to hear it? Yay! Sure. Uh, well, the unofficial Dusty Old songs for this episode are uh, Flash Theme by Queen and uh, the of theme course. from UFO by I Don't Know Who Did the Music for Jerry Anderson shows. Sorry, guys. I'm not I'm not super into Jerry Anderson. <laughs> you see, he see, his shows seem nice and like things I would enjoy. I'm just lazy. Uh, but my, my official one is in fact not just a song, a whole album, in fact. The album I, Robot by the Alan Parsons Project. Thematically uh, ah. inspired by the Isaac Asimov books about robots, as this show is. Uh, if you're looking for a particular song, I'd recommend the title track, I, Robot. It's a uh, really fun, uh, like, late 70s, prog, funky, instrumental thing. I like it a lot, uh, because I'm the kind of guy who recommends things by the Alan Parsons Project. Uh, so go <laughs> check that out. Alright. And uh, for me, you can mostly find me well it's i haven't been very active recently because mostly i've been working on writing stuff right now um i have a i have a uh, um web comic that i'm currently working on which hopefully should be coming out soon unfortunately the artist has been going through some personal stuff here and there that's made it 
hard for her to be able to finish the first episode, but hopefully it should be done sooner or later. Um, I'm also writing a little something else. I don't know if it's going to become much, but if you want updates, just follow me at, uh, on Twitter at Lack the Watcher. I'll try to post updates as much as I can. Uh, I voice act. I've got some projects I was cast in. I don't know when they'll be coming out, but eventually they probably will be. Again, I'll post on Twitter. Um, so, yeah. That's pretty much it for me. Nice. So, yeah. I guess thanks to my two co-hosts for this episode. Hey, no big thing. It was great revisiting this. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, thank you to everyone who was listening. Um, I don't really have much of a sign-off because I don't do this as much as you guys. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, make sure to follow us at the Dub Talk Twitter. Subscribe to that Patreon. Hit that bell. I don't know. Marketing. Marketing. Yay. Uh, subscribe to that YouTube, too. That's where you hit the bell. Um, yeah. And we've so, got audio podcasts now in a couple of places. You can find us on Podbean if you're not into the YouTube thing. There you go. Or, or like, downloading episodes without paying for them. That, too. So, yeah. Um, this is. I guess this is the part where I just say otaku on, my friends. Otaku on the daba. Rock on Boston, rock on Chicago. And cast the name of God, ye not guilty. And click. We'll be together now and It's funny Kevin Seymour didn't voice anyone in the first season. R.I.P. One of the first English freezes. People tend to forget that, that Kevin Seymour voiced Frieza. I did not know that. Yeah, in uh, GT, uh, in uh, Dragon Ball Z GT Final Bow. Hmm. Like, um... Oh, yeah, right. Steve Bloom was... What? Hmm? Right, right, right. Because that, um... That game didn't come out... And... Yeah, it was... It was before... It's one of those weird situations where it was before the actual anime got localized. Yeah. If... Honestly, if Dragon Ball had made it to California, Steve Bloom very likely would have been Goku. Yeah. And Kevin Seymour very likely would have been uh, Frieza. So. It's very interesting.